0: Our scripture reading for today is in Genesis chapter 15. We'll be reading the whole chapter. In your pew Bible, that's on pages 10 and 11. It's Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen.
1: Thank you, Nolan. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, pause for a moment and ask with uh, great sincerity and need that what we know not you would please uh, teach us in the moments ahead that what we have not that you would please grant to us and that we what we are not uh, you would please make us it's for your glory and our good that we ask these things amen if you had to pick uh, i wonder what you might suggest would be the most famous verse in the bible if i gave you 30 seconds you'd probably come up with john three sixteen on the short list of things I remember as a kid watching NFL games and seeing at the end of where the field goals are giant banners that just said John three sixteen. Uh, it's pretty re- amazing, even at uh, modern day gladiator events, uh, the love of God shows up and makes an appearance because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's such a famous verse in the Bible because of course it captures much of what the Bible has to say in really just a few words. I draw our attention to it this morning because in the course of my reading, someone uh, suggested that what John 3.16 is to the New Testament, uh, Genesis 15.6 is to the Old Testament. In other words, Genesis 15.6 has as much a theological weight attached to it as John 3.16. And that little declaration was was quite uh, interesting to me because 15.6 says that Abram believed the Lord... And he counted it to him as as righteousness. If you have some familiarity with the Bible, you'll know that a word like righteousness uh, shows up uh, quite a bit in the New Testament. It it usually refers to one of two things. One, to someone who lives a a virtuous sort of life. Or secondly, to being declared right with God through uh, the Lord Jesus. Essentially, righteousness is worked out in pretty significant detail in the new testament and then here in the early pages of the old testament it it makes an appearance interestingly enough uh, when the new testament writers unpack what righteousness means they often point back to genesis 15 6 by way of illustration i think that's what the fellow was suggesting about it being such an important verse and i i think by the end of things today we'll recognize why this is so significant for us as christian people So that is just a bit of a a foreshadowing of where we're headed. Uh, We'll set that in the back of our minds as we drop into just another remarkable episode in the life of Abram. Uh, We're told elsewhere elsewhere in the Bible that Abram is a friend of God. That's a unique phrase used with him. He's a friend of God. And if you think about friendship, you know that a key component is, is conversation. So it's really not a big surprise that Genesis 15 is very conversational. Abram says, excuse me, I have a question, and God provides answers. Uh, Abram has his second guessings. God gives him assurances. He's reiterating to him what he said before because Abram needs the encouragement. And so the chapter splits up really quite easily into two parts. In verses 1 through 6, God just reiterates his promises to Abram. And then in verses 7 through 20, God shows how far he's going to go in order to keep those promises to him. So verses 1 through 6, God reiterates his promises to Abram. But firstly, though, our narrator uh, begins the chapter by essentially glancing over his shoulder and looking back to the previous chapter. Uh, It says, uh, after these things. But these things are referring to the way that Abram rescued his nephew Lot after he got himself uh, captured as a prisoner of war. I can't take a long time to detail the entirety of chapter 14, but it is significant to 15. Uh, The executive summary of it is, is essentially this. At this point in Abram's day, there were five Canaanite cities who rebelled against their Mesopotamian overlords. No surprise, the overlords weren't real pleased about this, and so they they put the smackdown on the rebellion It happens to be that in the middle of the smackdown that Abram's nephew Lot gets captured as a prisoner of war And when Uncle Abe finds out this to be the case, he comes to the rescue of his uh, nephew Lot It is quite a picture, Abram an older man, certainly not a trained soldier He bravely chases down these Mesopotamian fellows with the company of his own companions And he manages to get his nephew back into the family fold It had to be quite a sobering experience for Abram Uh, I say that because of the way that chapter 15 begins Out of God's mouth come these words Fear not, Abram You mean because he was a little undone? I think that's exactly why God said fear not You, you know of course that uh, real danger does change a person An experience where death is an actual outcome It has a way of sobering us up with how fragile life can be uh, Some of you have served in the military You've been in combat and you know about this uh, very much so Others of you have uh, had cancer You, you know uh, that real danger it changes a person Abram knows this too Particularly so after fighting to save his nephew's life And if you bring all of that into uh, the picture uh, The sobering events of chapter 15 It helps us just recognize how how gracious are the words of God to Abram When he says to him, fear not, I'm your shield Yeah, it's just the introduction to the chapter But it is full of good stuff in here for us Fear, Fear not uh, because, Abram, I, I, I know that you're feeling quite fragile You probably have to be concerned that those Mesopotamian fellows are going to come back around uh, Like the schoolyard bully can do these things, and it's making you nervous But, Abram, here's what I want you to know I am your mighty warrior I will be your shield I've made promises to you I'm going to protect you and Christian person, we have every reason to receive these words to Abram as words to ourselves. He is our shield and our protector. We, we hide ourselves in Jesus. Rock of, of ages cleft for me. Uh, when you have those moments, perhaps in this upcoming week, when you feel yourself to be vulnerable for whatever reason, or you feel the antagonism of other people and you find yourself undone, you can run to the Lord and say, you're my shield and my protector. If you'll move in faith that way, there, there is a I think a calming sense that God grants to us in these things, a protector. Not only that, but God says to Abram, I'm also going to, uh, to, to be your reward. One of the other things that happened in chapter 14 is that uh, Abram refused uh, to take any of the bounty that was captured during his rescue of Lot. And in view of that, God was quite pleased. And he says, hey, I, I saw how you chose not to advantage yourself in the situation. Your integrity has not gone unnoticed. I, I am, I will be your reward. It's wonderfully gracious words of the Lord to meet Abram in this moment, to speak words of reassurance to him. To which Abram essentially says, well, Lord, hey, thanks for being my protector and my rewarder. I'm glad for that. I don't doubt these things. Uh, but I, I got to be honest, I'm having a hard time not second guessing what you're doing in my life. Because you said to me that I'm going to have lots and lots of descendants. But at this point in my life, my sunset years, I don't even have a naturally born son. And if things keep going that way, that nice fella who works for me, Eleazar, is going to be on the receiving end of all of my inheritance. He's become like a son to me. If you don't give me a son of my own, he's gonna receive it all himself. You've said this is going to happen, but it hasn't yet happened. I wonder if Abram had a bit of rapid fire cadence in what he said. Lord, what's this all about? Why are you doing the thing? You know, he's, he's flustered. But he's showing us in this conversation that you can be flustered with God. You said this but all that I'm seeing and feeling is contrary to what you've said. Again, we find ourselves going, man, this guy sure gets me. Yeah, I I think he does. Now, before we go on to to see how God replies uh, to Abram's questions and second guessing, uh, let's just, in passing, take to heart what he teaches us here. Again, friendship, conversation. This conversation with God shows us uh, that when we have these moments when faith is overwhelmed or uh, life has become uh, Quite tiresome to us, we can actually go to the Lord and tell Him all about it. Ian Duguid, the commentator, he says this: even doubting, even doubting thoughts and feelings that border on sin, are better laid out before the gracious eyes of the Lord than stewed upon in the heart. Just, just think about it. How many times have you said to a friend? Thank you for listening to me. I almost feel better having just talked it out with you Well, if an earthly friend can help us in this way Then how much more so the friendship of god might he minister to us in deepen even deeper ways Yeah, you could even tell him the things that that are borderline uncomfortable for you that seem to teeter on sin It's better to tell him this and then to to nurse them in your hearts I tried to live in these things myself Even as I wrestled with things on a personal side this week I had a, it's very subjective But a sense of like some of these uh, burdens and concerns being, being lifted from me Abraham shows us We can talk to God quite openly Boldly You can tell him what you're feeling when you're struggling uh, he, he of course won't be shocked He already knows what's going on between our ears You can speak to the Lord in prayer Like you speak to a friend in conversation Again, I say, even, even if the feelings are embarrassing to you, the, the, the doubts are uh, hard for you to admit. They're better told to God than stewed upon in your heart. That's what Abram's doing here. And in response to Abram's questions and doubts, God was really ticked off with his poor faith and had enough of him. No, of course not. God, he reassures him. It's wonderful goes god i got my questions and god says well let me give you a new promise you are going to have a son you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars paraphrase i hear what you're saying abram i want you to keep trust in me but to give you a little more certainty about what i'm going to do slip your coat on it's cold outside but go outside because it's dark and i want you to look up at the stars And when you look at the stars and you try your and you find yourself trying to count them I want that to be a picture to you of how many children are going to be yours by way of descendants Which is quite a picture because at a previous point in abram's life. He used to be a worshiper of the moon an astrologist And now here is the fella having this moment with god where the one who hung the stars and the moon in place as Think of those and be assured of my promise to you this is God reiterating his promises to Abram In response to that We now have verse 6 And Abram believed the Lord In more ways than not Abram is, is acting upon what he's already believed that, That's what's underneath the, the meaning of this word believed in the original language It actually points to a, a repeated or, or a continuous action in other words, this isn't the start of Abram's journey of faith. If I can say it this way, he's already a Christian. What's happening here is he's already responded to the call and promise of God from chapter 12. So it's, it's not the start of him following after God, but I think chapter 15 is like this pivotal faith moment for him. Uh, be, because here before us, Abram is, he, he's entrusting his future to what God has promised to do him. He says, it's essentially, I, I do believe But help me in my unbelief He says i've tried to figure this thing out on my own and i'm just getting frustrated He he needs to sing a little line from carrie underwood to himself jesus take the wheel I think that's what we have a picture of him doing here I keep trying to control the thing myself and I just find myself white knuckled and and undone chapter 15 is a picture of him saying i'm uh, I'm done trying to be in control and trying to figure all this out on my own cleverness, you, uh, let let me get back in the passenger seat where I, where I belong. That's why the second half of verse six says what it says. Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Which is to say that it's Abram's simple faith in what God has said that that pleases God abundantly. His faith is not in the power of faith his belief is this settled conviction that god will do what he's promised no no matter what And it's such faith that god counted to him as righteousness Now clearly friends this god's approval of him isn't tied to some virtuous uh, deed that he's pulled off in his life We've been with abraham for a month now and he's done things that just make you shake your head You go no, it's not because he's been a good boy that god says he's pleased No, the scriptures, they're they're painfully honest about his flaws But also perfectly clear about his faith Quite simply, it's Abram's sincere belief in God's word that matters It's not what he's doing for God that makes him righteous But what he believes God is doing for him and through him Just consider for a second what verse 6 doesn't say And Abram got his life straightened out He stopped drinking and cheating on his taxes And then the Lord counted him as righteous. It doesn't say that. Nor does verse six say, Abram gave money to the church and said his prayers during Lent. And then the Lord said, good, things are balanced out. We're now good. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say verse six, and Abram tried really hard to be a good person. And that's why the Lord counted him as righteous. It doesn't say those things. It just says verse six, Abram believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness, period. This is the picture. It's not his doing that put him in a right standing with God. It's his sincere and simple faith and trust and belief that God received and counted to him as righteousness. Now you understand why the New Testament writers point back to this moment with Abram as an illustration of what it means for a Christian to be declared righteous in Christ. Because it's by faith alone that we look to God who supplies us with this righteousness or this uh, declared upright life that we can't achieve on our own merits. The New Testament like turns the prism continually, showing us little glimpses of what it means. But one of my favorite lines comes from Paul's pen, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God made the one who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You become righteous in Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus is reckoned to you by faith. You see, as, as, as Christians, we find in, in Christ a righteousness that we don't possess in ourselves, but a righteousness that is reckoned to us by faith, just like it's reckoned to Abram. He's counted righteous before God In the same way that Christians are It's not that we do for God and get this But that we trust in what Jesus has done And receive from him in an unmerited way If you're listening to these things And like you're having this light bulb moment You go, that's how you become a Christian? Yes I can't figure it out I entrust myself to you entirely by faith This is how you become a Christian Spoiler alert This is how you continue to live as a Christian, (laughs) not based on your own cleverness and your efforts, but in trusting that God looks upon you in the Lord Jesus and has deep affection for you. It's what was captured in those words that we sang this morning. The hymn is not for people to become Christians, it is that, but it's for us to continue to sing as Christians. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to Thee for dress, helpless I look for Thee, to Thee for grace. Uh, another hymn says, uh, "It is enough that Jesus died, and that He died for me. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that He died for me." Christian person, you've sung it before, but, but are you believing that it is so, or are you just uh, vexed again this week because of uh, some something that you did so awful in the past you can't seem to get outside of your purview? Or you do find yourself trying to give something to god that you hope will please him You actually just have to stop Stop trying to make yourself righteous because you can't Stop trying keep believing that by faith alone God accepts you in christ Keep believing by faith that god accepts you solely because you're trusting in the work of our lord jesus christ There is an There's like an action attached to faith Uh, Because the the promises of God Do little good in us Unless we believe them And act upon them Martin Luther once put it In a letter to a friend like this He, He just asked this question Have you finally become sick and tired Of your own righteousness And take in a deep breath Of the righteousness of Christ And learn to trust in it It's just this great word picture Are you sick of yourself yet? Your hypocrisy Your your failures Good Because you will only look to the Lord Jesus When you are sick and fed up with yourself Take a deep breath Of the righteousness of Jesus And learn to trust in it Learn to keep trusting in it you know, what does that look like? Well, most fundamentally, it comes down to singing, again, those words. It, it is enough for me that Jesus died and that he died for me. Self, believe it to be so. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. Maybe today is a day for you to, to renew this belief that you've said in the past Uh, But that today you go I want to just affirm That I'm trusting in these things All the more Uh, This is again what I say Abram is doing in Genesis 15 He's already believed But he's believing all the more Maybe February 18th Is a day for you to say I do believe But I'm believing all the more Uh, Maybe it will sound to you like this And Tony Believed the Lord And he counted it to him As righteousness Or And Kristen kept trusting in Jesus alone and was assured in her heart that Jesus was enough for her. Abram believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. You see, the, the active nature of his faith that quieted his second guessing. The, the promises of God do little good in us unless we believe them and act upon them. All of that happens with Abram as in response to God reiterating his promises to him. Which brings us now to the second half of genesis 15, which is really just it's just an extension of the first half So in verses 1 through 6, there's like this conversation of reassurance And then in 7 through 20, uh, we have this sign of reassurance You got words and then you have a sign both intended to reassure Because in the second half of the chapter god is showing how far he will go to keep his promise to abram Now admittedly to us uh, modern readers What we have described here It probably falls somewhere on the scale of bizarre uh, To to unsettling So I'll at least give a little historical context And what seems to be a very strange ceremony We know of course in our days When there are are agreements made uh, Contracts or covenants That we fill out a piece of paper You might click something online Uh, You sign your signature You find your local notary to come and, and seal the deal for you Uh, These are our practices here, but 4,000 years ago things were a little different When two parties had a significant agreement to make The parties took part in an elaborate and somewhat gory ceremony involving animal sacrifice And so God says to Abram, verse 9 Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon Clearly the significance of these directions is uh, murky for us But abram knows exactly what to do with the animals I think probably because he's been part of a ceremonial like this before And so he cuts the bigger animals in half He lays the halves a short distance apart from one another and then he waits Sun goes down Abram falls into a deep sleep In which a terrifying darkness comes over him And in that darkness, the Lord speaks to Abram in a vision. And he assures him once again that a great plot of land uh, is going to belong to his descendants. It'll be a few hundred years before it comes to fruition. Uh, It's not going to be easy. There's going to be difficulty and suffering. Abram, you're not going to live to see it for yourself, but you you will be able to die with assurance, confident of God's plans will uh, come to fruition. There's more I could say here, but... What I want us to settle on is actually what's happening in verse 17 Abram is still in his dreamlike vision state And it's in this unique moment in time that God does something uh, remarkable Because he's showing Abram how far he's going to go to keep his promises to him At the conclusion of a a typical cultural uh, agreement of Abram's day, it was actually customary, catch this, for for both parties to walk between the pieces of torn up animals, which served as like an acted out curse. So the two parties were saying to each other, hey, if I break my word in the keeping of this covenant agreement, may I die just a horrible death like these animals. That's how the the act uh, typically unfolded. But in God's ritual assurance, Covenant with Abram did, did you notice what happens Only one of the parties Passes between The torn apart animals God is showing Abram That this covenant he's making with him It's unlike anything he's ever been A part of before Because the agreement is essentially totally One sided it depends entirely Upon God for his fulfillment God is showing him that I promise to keep the covenant And And even more than that I promise to bear the curse of the covenant If you fail to be faithful to its terms You see this means that God is going to keep his word to Abram About making him a great nation No matter what He will be faithful to his word Even if Abram or his future descendants Are faithless Here comes the grace of God peeking out through the pages of the old testament god is saying i'd rather be i'd rather be torn apart than to see my relationship with you and the future people of my promises broken apart and eventually of course god did keep his covenant agreement just like he said he would because many many generations later our lord jesus bore the penalty of the covenant curses Are you able to see, like, from the the shadows of the pages of the Old Testament, uh, the light which becomes clear in the work of the Lord Jesus? Because it's in him that that God himself tasted death in the place of the covenant-breaking children of Abram. Again, Duguid says, On the cross, the covenant curse fell completely on Jesus. So that the guilty ones who placed their trust in him might experience the blessings of covenant Jesus bore the punishment for our sins so that god might be our god and we might be his people You see in genesis 15 god showed abram in walking through the divided animals I'd rather be torn apart than for our relationship to come undone And then in Jesus in the first century Jerusalem God's son undergoes the curse of the covenant himself By bearing the punishment of our unfaithfulness And do you know the picture of what happens? Of course, Jesus is physically brutalized and beat up and torn apart You get little glimpses of it uh, Through Matthew's gospel He says this in chapter, I think, 27 Then the governor's soldiers Took Jesus into headquarters and gathered the whole company around him They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet military robe They twisted together a crown of thorns put it on his head and placed a reed in his right hand They they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail king of the jews Then they spit on him They took the reed and they kept hitting him on his head When they had mocked him they stripped him of the robe put his clothes on him and led him away to, to crucify him Friends, this is the covenant keeper The covenant keeper jesus standing in the place of covenant breakers you and me This is the covenant keeper Bearing the curse of the covenant upon himself In in our place But even more than being physically torn up It was was being uh, relationally uh, ripped From the affectionate relationship With his heavenly father That bore the deepest wounds in our Lord Jesus It's one of his cries from the cross When he says, my God, my God Why, why have you forsaken me? Theologian Packer says that on the cross Jesus lost all the good that he had had before Jesus lost all sense of his father's presence and love Jesus lost all ease and solace of friendship They were taken from him And in their place was nothing but loneliness And a horror of great spiritual darkness uh, Something that Jesus had never known up to this point in his human existence he's, he's flourished in this perfect friendship with God But now he experiences uh, full cursedness from God as the, as the sinless Jesus He willingly had God's wrath toward our sins Like thrust upon his shoulders Temporarily separating him from the affection of his own father The, the picture right there is to show us That we, we may think lightly of our sins But it is no small thing to our holy God in order for God to be just, it was necessary for Jesus, uh, the one who had no sin, to be, to be cursed for us. And the necessity of his separation, of Jesus being punished in our place so that we could be forgiven, was the only way that God could reestablish a right relationship with his covenant-breaking people. If you want to think about it like this, we have John three sixteen: for God so loved the world. Only because we have jesus bearing the curse of our covenant breaking in our place It's a dark story But of course the christian story doesn't end in death and judgment Because we have the events of of easter morning We have the witnesses of those who saw jesus raised from the dead In this physical embodiment, but some version of it that had been all put back together torn apart put back together Scars in his hands still present But the cost of the broken covenant and sin's curse Gone He was torn apart so that we might be put back together So that we might be forgiven so that we might be made truly whole Friends let me just ask you this Tell me another religion In the entirety of the world That works like this Every view of life says you get what you deserve But only in the gospel does God take upon himself what we deserve and give us what we don't deserve And because he gloriously did so we have We have no reason to ever doubt God's Unfolding plans in our lives even when they're mysterious to us We can come with our questions But we can live by the assurance that it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me And him being raised from the dead and put back together is exactly what's going to happen for me. We're intended to look to the Lord Jesus and be reassured of how far God has gone for us and how far he will go all the way to take us to himself.